Hey everybody, I'm Agree. I'm Harrison. And this is Bottom Line Design. And today we are back with a round two with Darian Edwards. So thank you, Darian, for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for the people who weren't here for round one, do you want to fill them in on uh, what's what's your backstory? Kind of like your, your claims to fame? Because you've got a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, what the... the kind of catapulted my career was uh mailbox i was the founding designer of the mailbox app um spent a little bit of time at at dropbox and then moved on to uh be a senior digital product designer at nike and designed uh the nike sneakers app so i was the founding designer of of that as well and you know we never imagined that would be such a, a big hit especially in the sneaker uh, culture, but um, yeah, I spent quite a bit of time at Nike and touched a little bit, almost every app in the Nike portfolio, you know, from the Nike app to uh, the Nike Run Club and uh, Nike Training Club app as well. Um, and I guess addition to that, I, I spent a lot of time over the years working with early stage startups and um, touched everything from glimpse if people remember that um one true fan which was pretty popular app um and yeah i've been around <laughs> so, so largely very unimpressive projects <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome so let's just start from the beginning so uh with mailbox there's a few things here like you know agree and i are definitely under the assumption that you definitely created or introduced with Matt, like flying colors, you definitely introduced like the swipe to action. Like, I think yeah. that, you know, it, we'd love to hear a little about that. Um, in addition to what was it like working with that founding team? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. We had um, a very small team. Um, at the time, our design team was uh, myself, uh, Gentry Underwood, who was the founder and CEO. And then uh, L Luna came and joined us, um, and L and Gentry worked together uh, for quite a bit of time at, at IDEO, and so they brought this really um, amazing design process uh, to startups, right? And, you know, at IDEO, it's it's mostly you know long term kind of agency engagements, but we were able to do it in a very small knit um, with our team, and so there's. You know, always a ton of sketching. Um, we did paper prototyping, which is how we, you know, kind of figured out the swipes. We literally would have stickies and pieces of paper and, you know, draw things with, you know, colored pencils. And, and we would play around with interactions and the actions of, you know, the app. And so it was it was where um, I say I really learned the sport of design mm. and really fell in love with uh that process of just like iterating and and i think one thing that we discovered early on is that um design is kind of meant to be messy and it's it's meant to be um loud and you know very kind of like loose and it, it's almost in a way the opposite of you know what our engineering team was doing right there they're figuring out some really complex, you know, cloud things. Um, 
in in how to architect a system that can handle you know almost real time communication and and dealing with lots and lots of data when you're you know downloading someone's you know inbox that could be I don't know you know hundreds of thousands of of messages and and so they're trying to figure out large amounts of data and and want clear you know roadmap and 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 what we're doing and. And we're on the other hand, just like, you know, literally throwing stuff in the air. Um, and so it was fun. It was really fun. And we would uh, we would look at so many different options and uh, explore every angle as possible and really obsess uh, the user and think about how they were going to feel more than anything. And, and I think um, one of my biggest takeaways is um, to to design great products, you have to think about you know who is it for, and and what problems do they have, and how are you solving those problems? And that and that sounds cliche, but it's easy to forget, and it's easy to get away from that. And I and I feel like a lot of times, um, you know, founders, especially first time founders, uh, they'll kind of obsess on their own problems and their own issues sure. but that doesn't always equal you know customers or mass markets and so um you know it's all about focusing on those users and thinking about like even like who are the extreme archetypes and so that was a lot of what we did uh at mailbox <laughs> how, did you, how did you take us through uh two things one like that process uh that, uh, you know, Gentry and like the IDEO squad was kind of like a proponent of, and then um, how did you stay close to the, to your users once you got started? Yeah. Um, so before we launched, we would invite people to our office or, you know, at the time we uh, were in Palo Alto and we were actually working like across the street from where the first Facebook office was. Um, and, and so we would take day trips to San Francisco and we would schedule meetings with, you know, people who we would think um, would be these like extreme archetype kind of users. And so for us, um, there are people like, um, you know, uh, M.G. Siegler, uh, who he's the guy from uh, Google Ventures and, you know, very busy guy and was very vocal during those times about, you know, email and the fact that it sucks. Um, and so we would go meet with him and we would, we would give him a preview into what we were building. We would show him mock-ups. We would ask him how he uses his, uh, his inbox and how he triaged. Um, and we would do the same with like even like our team. We would ask yeah. everyone in the office to print out their emails and, you know, manually show us how they triage messages and um, all of that started to inform, you know, what we would what we would build, right? And it and it it also informed, um, like I said, the emotional connection that people had with with email, and it was a very similar process that I ended up. Uh, taking with me um, to Nike and, and when I was working on the Nike sneakers app and, and, and thinking about, 
you know, the sneakerheads in that community and, and kind of what they were dealing with. So can you can you tell a little bit more then about that messy process that goes from like the first hunch that you have of what the mailbox app could be or what the Nike sneakers app could be? And what is it about the process of observing these extreme personalities or personas that you're trying to design for? What gets uncovered in that process that isn't obvious when you first go in? Um, I think, I don't know, I guess like a lot, a lot of um, perspective, a lot of inspiration. I think at least for me, like, you know, I love building things for people and, and whether that's like a digital thing, um, I make t-shirts a lot for fun. Um, I make a lot of stuff and it's always for someone, right? And, and you want them to feel somewhat something. And I think, you know, at the core of art or graphic design is just like human connection in, in, in that kind of like feeling. And so I think for me, you get that emotional connection that, that you're going to impact someone's life. And I think that's like an ultimate inspiration to like keep going. And then it's like an also an, an ultimate inspiration to like make it good. Right. Because you're like, yo, if it's going to be good, they're going to, you know, be this much more delighted or if it's going to actually be a, effective in like solving a problem that they might have. And so for us in mailbox, what we heard a lot was people just felt overwhelmed by their inbox. They felt controlled by it, even though it's, it seems like a, a very simple thing, but it was like the number one productivity app in like in everyone's lives. And like, everyone felt trapped by it. And we were like, okay, how do we make it easier to manage? Like, like, if people are drawn by their email, like us included, we want to get away from it. We'd, we'd rather not use it, but we all rely on it to communicate, to collaborate, to get work done. Like, how do we make it better? And so we really started to think about that. And I think that's like another thing that I just enjoy about being a designer is I feel like we have the the tools the mindset to make things better and so we started to think a lot about you know how do we improve it and and for me at the time i wasn't thinking about product experiences as deeply as i think about them now and so for it was i was pretty much obsessed with like visual design and i was just like coming from like graphic graphic world so that's I started with like typography. Yeah. Say that yeah, again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's the gateway drug. <laughs> is uh, it's always like, ooh, I I want to get in design because I I want to make things look slick. I want like that really yeah. slick interface. And then you start to realize that actually there's like there's steel beams underneath this slick interface. And then yeah. you start to get interested. How are those steel beams like lattice together? Like to... I, like I'd love to know. Like just riffing off that. Like I'd love to know. And I, and I try to ask every single designer this, who is the first person that taught you about, uh, function, function over form? Cause I feel like when designers come across that, like everything about 
everything about the way that they go about their discipline kind of changes. And so yeah. for you, if no one's listening, if no one, uh, uh, if you, if you guys haven't listened to the first part of this, um, you know, Darian got his start designing t-shirts, um, and also making like my, MySpace web pages, but everything was very visual. So that's why I asked that question because it's, it's like a paradigm shift when you hear it as a designer for the very first time in your career. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good question. I'm trying, I'm trying hard to think, uh, and there's there's people who I feel like I like really hammered it home, but I feel like it's just like a, a like a combination of all of my experiences. But I feel like yeah. the biggest one was like building my own stuff, um, and so I, it's not. I guess it's just like my own teaching because like. I, and I always say it's like you got those product dollars, right? And so, like, you know, I might have a big vision and like know exactly what I want to do for you know any kind of product. And 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 it was really at Nike where I started to tamper with building my own stuff because I was, you know, making good money and you know getting good bonuses. I was very high performer, and so I was like, I'm gonna invest in building my own products. And I started to try to build apps and there's a couple, um, the, the one that I went the deepest on was an app called stack. And so I had this big vision, but not like that, you know, big budget and like time and like, and so that's really, I really learned how to like deal with like constraints and be like, okay, yeah. like we don't have unlimited budget. I don't have unlimited time how do I like design it in a way that I can really get where I want? Um, but I would say like up into that, I was, I was pretty spoiled. Um, <laughs> because uh, yeah, I was spoiled honestly, because you know, mailbox was Gentry was a founder. And so he's a designer design founder. And, and so, you know, um, and then Scott was his co-founder who came from uh, engineering and operations background and, but also, you know, was ex Apple. And so also, you know, thought very highly of design. And so we were definitely a design company and even engineers, you know, thought of themselves as designers and, you know, architects of systems. And, and so we're a design company. I was very spoiled. Um, and then Nike. It sounds like everyone just got it. When you had conversations, there weren't, like these undertones of like why something's important to pursue or why that attention to detail on that rogue feature is worth doing, you know, a certain I, way or like. I started butting up against it like really at Nike. And that was because it was a pivotal point at Nike. And we talk about, we spoke about it a bit last time, but the sneakers app was the first app to be built internally at Nike with in-house talent. And so it's the first of Nike kind of, you know, building a, uh, you know, digital product, you know, excellence within Nike. And that kind of formation were, was like people like me who were, who were, was coming from, you know, S San Francisco early startup and, and kind of knew that world and of all different kind of flavors of that right and so uh i think for me 
I kind of had that scrappiness and like move fast and don't break things was the start was the job box. It was like move fast, don't break things. Um, <laughs> and, and so I was coming from that, but I was also coming from like really high design bar and principles. And then I get to Nike and I'm like, okay, Nike is like excellence, the best of the best. And like, you know, the best athletes in the world. And I think of design and engineers as athletes. And like, so I wanted to be at that high level, but there were people who were like, you know, didn't understand that and more like, you know, done is better than perfect. And like, and so I was coming up against that. And, you know, what I've always found is just like, how do we, how do we build, how do we bring people along who may not have those same design values or, or, Mm. or that, you know, appreciation for quality and how do you bring them along and how do you, how do you show that? And and I really, really learned um, the art of that at Nike. How do we get people on board? And so I spent a lot of time building decks and and storytelling and and thinking about, you know, how do I get someone who like may not care about like checkout and they're like, okay, this is good enough. It works and, and blah, blah, blah. And how do we push to like, no, it's not good. Like good is not good enough. Um, and like so you, awesome is the new expectation. Right. And like, right. We had to show that. Um, yeah. I, I had a question about the word that you used with excellence. Cause it's something that I think about a lot. Um, and, and sometimes I wonder, like, when you're talking about bringing people along, um, how much do you think, how does it look when you're trying to bring someone along who doesn't maybe have that same natural inclination towards design thinking? How does it look when you feel like they just have a competing definition of excellence or one that, um, maybe butts up against your conception of excellence as a designer? Uh, and how does that compare to trying to bring someone along who you feel like maybe they don't have a strong definition of excellence at all? Um, and you know, what's what's the contrast between the two? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry you cut you cut out a little bit, but I think I I caught most of that. Um, but um, I think I think it's like really the same process of like how do we how do we get aligned? And I spend a lot of time doing that, you know, now with the clients that I work with is, um, and and when they have, so for instance, I'm working on a product and a project and, you know, you got a marketing team, you got product team, you got an engineering team, you got a founder and CEO, and then you have uh, the investors. And that's who actually hired me um, to help out this team. And so it's a pretty crazy, uh, you, you know, how do you get alignment across all these different, uh, like you said, everyone has different goals, initiatives. Similarly, similarly at, at Nike, where I was telling you guys about the story of like, you know, we had to build sneakers using uh, internal technology that already existed. And those product and engineering teams already have roadmaps, already have goals, 
I think at the time one was like, you know, expanding Nike.com to, to China and building like, you know, WeChat experience so they can do commerce in China, which is like a billions and billions of dollars. So definitely what I thought was excellent was like, you know, some slick animation and the way that things are going to load and come in and like, it's going to be like dope. And they're like, but we're like, you know, putting a, 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 a checkout module in WeChat and we're going to get $4 billion. And I'm like, increase in revenue no, in an like, untapped yeah. market, you know, we'll tell you like, if you have constraints, you have a much better product when you go out to design against it. Can you just talk to us a little about like how constraints have played into your experience and, and your projects and just any notable any notable constraints outside of that one, uh, you know, uh, payments team stuff at uh, at night. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to finish the thought a little bit on that is what I was trying to get to is we really had to get alignment and we got alignment through really like the principles. So like even before we showed designs, it's like, okay, what is our goal? What is our purpose? And we had to really paint a picture of like, this is what the consumer experience is. And at that point, it was like Nike puts a link on Twitter. They see a spinner on Nike.com for 15 minutes. We just painted this picture of it was how trash it was and how we can improve. There's an opportunity for improvement. Um, and we got aligned on like, this is the world that we want to create. And they were inspired by that world. And, and they were inspired by us believing that we can get there and, and, but we needed to do it together. And so they ended up getting on board and, and, and we were able to do that. And, 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 but, um, but working in constraints, I think, yeah, I think like, yeah, the more senior you get, the better you get as, at kind of, uh, like asking the questions and trying to get to them early. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I do think constraints make, you know, great, great products. And, and they also, they're, they're a lot of times it's the story. And I think, um, without them, uh, it's really hard to get something that is a sharp enough point to where it's going to be an effective solution and, and things become just like this like bloated could be a word. You get things that you don't really need when it comes to, you know, a design or, or a product. And so really getting it to its essence is kind of like understanding those constraints and then being able to deliver to, to deliver within them. Um, but I think for, for startups, it's just time and money. It's, it's like, it's, like that's the basic way to think about it is time and money. The more time you have, the more iterations you're going to be able to do, the more you're going to be able to learn, the more you're going to be able to get closer to like solving your customer's problems. And so that's the biggest constraint that I didn't understand before. Like I said, I was, I was kind of spoiled, um, but I have a deep With understanding of, of it now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I bring that to my clients now where I'm just like, okay, 
like you might want to think about it this way because I, I and I and and a lot of times they're not even thinking about time and money. Um, mm -hmm. And so I I I I I think I said this before too, but I might talk myself out of projects or out of scope. But because I'm so mindful of that, of like, let's make sure you have the right signal. Let's make sure, you know, this opportunity to test and learn is going to set you up for the next up at bat, right? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if, if that answered your question, but. Well, I want to I want to push an inch deeper there because if you're saying that the biggest constraint for startups is time and money, which it totally is, um, that poses a question for the founder without a compass, right? Which is like, well, I already know I only have this much runway left, or I already know that this is all the budget that we have for product development. Um, in that environment, how would you approach, or how do you approach? setting the right constraints so that you can create the solution that's that's the sharpest possible that it can actually break through yeah um i try to you know develop a pretty deep like strategy that would encompass like you know what are what are our goals there are there's always like a goal um and you know in 2022 when i mean in 2020 when we started building uh fast af and i think that was my um my closest look you know working directly with the ceo and kind of understanding um that kind of constraint where you know he had just uh pivoted from you know dark store or kind of like discovered that dark store probably not gonna gonna work with the existing model and wanted to try fast AF and needed to get to a place where we had some kind of signal uh, pretty quickly. And so we really broke it down in like a 90 day sprint um, hmm. and had like a, a goal of like, okay, we need to, we need to, we need to launch this app. We need to get customers. Um, I can't remember what the specific goals were, but they're like, I think there was some kind of metric we had around like orders in, in like, in, in like, in, in like initial orders placed. And so that was our goal. And I, and, and people on my team will remember, I'm what I would call a ruthless prioritizer. <laughs> um, whereas if there was anything that wasn't going to get us to that goal, like we were not doing it and we just had to put blinders on and just go after what was going to unlock, uh, those goals. Um, and, and, and so like, I think like our first goal was like get orders. And so the first version of the app didn't have things like, you know, a reset password flow oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. like things like, like, or like an onboarding or like, there's a lot of things that weren't there where people would like, you know, give me feedback on the app and like, how can I can't reset my password or how come you don't have this? And I'd be like, yo, you gotta know that I know those things, right? Like clearly, but my first goal is to get freaking customers. And I right. only had 
I don't even think it was 90 days to start. I think we started doing 90 day sprints after. I think it was 60 days. So we launched a full functioning commerce, ex native commerce experience, full front end and back of house operations in 60 days and created all of the product assortment, That's merchandising, crazy. designed the brand, all of that in 60 days. And so it had to be really like, nope, not doing that. Nope, not doing that. And it really comes down to like, I make a lot of lists. <laughs> and sometimes they're like, we would war room, put everything up on stickies. This is all the stuff we would have to do. And you'd be like, nope, we're not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. And you just keep doing, coming back to it and you narrow it down you see where you're at. Um, and so, yeah, was, it's, I was, I was going to ask, what, what's your gauge? Um, what is your gauge for deciding, like, as you're designing something, what's your gauge for like, okay, this is actually worth pursuing versus I'm spending too much time on this. It's, it's time to ship. Like, what, how do you, how do you decide like enough's enough in a high octane environment where it's either you ship or you die. Yeah. Um, it's really like impact, you know, what's the impact going to be? Um, and there uh, it's like said differently. It's like, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right. <laughs> and so oh, like, uh, <laughs> and so there's always things that um, might be nice to have versus like, you know, critical. And you have to be able to think about that. And I think like back to kind of where we started this conversation is being like, like having a connection to the, you know, your users, those personas and kind of being able to have the voice in your head, you can kind of be tapped in in a way to where you can kind of better gauge. And if you don't know, just like ask them, right? Or you just kind of get enough information up front to where you can kind of get to the next phase where you kind of have enough insight and you kind of, you kind of know, right? You kind of know like, okay, people are going to like, like love, like love this thing, or, or this is going to like make people sign up, or this is going to like, if we have a problem with um, um, I don't know, conversion or stickiness, you know, what are decisions that are going to help you hit that goal and like, mm -hmm. just focus on that. Um, you know, so for instance, again, I, I could give examples if it's more helpful, but one was like kind of talking back to the fast AF launch, we like we wanted to get orders, we wanted to get awareness, we wanted to test the model um, of, you know, do people want, you know, fast delivery of not just grocery and snacks, but other goods. Um, we had a lot of, you know, assumptions and insight. And, you know, one I brought from Nike, which was a lot of people wanted, or a lot of people did their research online learned at Nike. They would they would look at Nike.com, they would look at YouTube, a lot of websites get information, but then they would go to the mall and purchase. 
because they wanted a, an instant. And Fast AF validated a similar insight. And so during COVID, we're like, okay, could we, do people want to buy Air Force Ones and get them delivered in two hours? Do people want to buy, you know, dog leashes? Do we and we had a lot of research that said yes, but we wanted to test that. And so um, we focused on what would enable that. Um, and then there were other goals and things that would kind of help us optimize along the way. So for instance, the first version had very poor like unit economics. You know, warehouse employees were contractors that were paid a lot. Um, I can give a lot of examples, but like eventually that became a problem. So then we had to solve for that. Um, so yeah, this I think is it's a, like, go ahead, go ahead. This is this is a theme that we've noticed as well. Um, it's something that we try to communicate to anyone whose ear we can grab on it. Cause you know, um, kind of like you, kind of like Zane, you know, uh, from from Instacart, I mean, like the four of us really have like definitely cut our cut our teeth in the on demand trenches. Um, I, I don't know if we mentioned this to you on the first call that when we first got into Y Combinator, it was uh, as an Instacart for Africa. So we yeah. were we were uh, so we when you say that like you launched in sixty days a back office, uh, a slick customer app, a brand system, and a curated assortment of of uh, products, we know firsthand how hard that is. That is insane. But like also one, like super impressive. Yeah, super impressive, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a big deal. Like the the thing that uh we try to tell everyone who will listen is that like design, you think that it stops, and we we're trained to think that it stops uh at Figma. It stops at wireframes or diagrams or component libraries. But you can just as easily design your cache conversion cycles. You can apply which is Absolutely. actually something that we right that like finance was really really stressful until we dismantled it into individual parts and said why is it like this and uh we figured out a few changes that i mean literally could be like a portfolio piece in like a designer's portfolio with like yeah. the same you know you know the the usual sort of like uh uh, portfolio porn they have of like the uh, so we got the sticky notes together and then we created like user personas and, and flow charts and stuff you don't have to just do that for products and apps like like what you're saying you can do it for back of office you could do it yeah. for a warehouse that includes dog leashes and and air jordans right yeah. those are still design questions because it's like what's the architecture going to be what goals yeah. are we trying to achieve and actually right? that makes me that makes me think of like another question which is like in what other areas did you find yourself designing within a company? Yeah. Outside, I'm yeah. I'm glad you said that because, you know, back to what Agree was saying, I think like n not only can you do that, I think a lot of times um, you can be a, a better designer and a more effective designer if you can understand the business and understand operations and, and really understand uh, what we're talking about, the constraints, right? It's like the space that you're playing around with. And if you have a deep understanding of that, the the better your designs are going to be, the better you can like visually or creative impact, creatively impact the world. And I learned that with, you know, iOS, where I was like, okay, I had, I had to, I wanted to learn the HIG. I wanted to learn really deeply how iOS worked in order to, um, be able to design a great app, 
right? And 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 so like even like you talk about the swipes that was like Gentry and I talked about a lot, like what did it mean to be mobile? What did it mean to be natively mobile? Yeah. And what is the mobile used for? And we're like, it's used for swiping and it like all these things. And we we're like, okay, so if we're gonna make the modern version of email, then it should probably use gestures because that's the main freaking thing of this technology. And so having a deep understanding of business is going to help. And I can give an example, um, like back to Facebook. So, I mean, Facebook, back to Fast AF. We spent a lot of time working on thinking about the packaging. And um, we're going to do boxes just like Amazon. And along the way, got inspired and wanted to do a bag. And so we made this like tote bag. And because we had all these different products from like headphones to leashes to sneakers and uh, security was an issue and they were starting to like during COVID, remember everyone started putting stickers on food delivery. Yeah. And I was like, what if the tote bag had a zipper? Like, and that would be dope. Um, and so we designed this, uh, this fast AF canvas bag that had a zipper and we like sourced it and everything. And we had all, we like did specs for sizes and like what range of products could we hit with these sizes. And again, that V1 lunch, like CEO loved it. And, and um, it was one of those things that became an instant hit where literally everyone would get a fast AF order and they would take a picture of the bag and post it. Boom. We never asked anyone to do it. And it was one of those things where um, we just kind of thought it would be cool and we thought it would elevate the experience and people would appreciate it. And it turned out to be true. Fast forward, now that we've proved the model, we got orders, we got people delighted, they're loving Fast AF, they're spreading the word, they're posting pictures of this bag. Now, next phase, we have to scale this. We now have a, a CFO, this is, you know, fast forward, who's like, Darian, I'm, like, we have to figure out, you know, our, our economics. These bags cost five bucks each. I was just about to ask, like, <laughs> me, I'm, I'm like, there's no way. I thought <laughs> along the lines of like what uh, Chewy did, which I think, which is the first example that comes to mind where they took uh, your standard like two gauge boxes, right? Corrugated. And then they uh, added uh, blue ink branding. So that yeah. like, and, and now whenever you see a Chewy box, like walking the streets of Manhattan, you're like, shit, maybe I should give that a, a go. Cause you yeah. just see it right there, like collapse and stuff. And they're all, all the time, they're massive boxes because their specialty is delivering massive dog food, you know, quantities. But I'm sitting here being like, okay, canvas, zipper, expensive, expensive. Thing. Yeah. And then he was just talking about impact. How did you understand that that was going to be impactful? Yeah. Um, it, so kind of to finish the thought really quick, but because like that, what I want to give the example for designers of just like that deeper understanding of the business and, so, and also bringing other people along, right? So like we talked about what excellence looks like for CEO. If it's like, yo, 
we're going to unlock series series uh, B if we can show we have amazing unit economics. I need to get these costs per delivery way down. And I'm like, I want this to be an amazing experience that everyone, and, and not only that, I want a 10 out making things better. I want a 10% improvement on the Amazon experience. Everyone hates the packaging. Everyone hates a box in a box. And like, we have this beautiful bag experience. We also had a, like a brand marketing idea of like, what if we did drop offs in the community and you can like drop off your bag and we recycle. The bag was also made of recycled material. So we had this beautiful, purposeful brand story and experience that's in compete competition with series, <laughs> with series B and our, our CFO. And so I had to get like, get it. I had to understand his world. I had to like, okay, what, like break down the unit economics, break down. And so we yeah. literally, like we would do a design exercise. What are all the, like he, he walked through the, like the spreadsheet is crazy. Like first he sent me the numbers in a spreadsheet. Then I'm like, yeah, we need to get together and like, tell me what each one of these line items are. Like, what does this cost? And he's just like, okay, this is the customer acquisition cost. This is the cost of goods. This is the delivery fee that we have to pay our driver. This is the cost for the warehouse workers that fulfill and pack. This is the, like, I had to understand that. And then I'm like, okay, I started being able to help him creatively problem solve how we can chop those things up. Okay. Cause yeah, like, yeah. these are a shared, these are shared goals and like, and, and, and like back to also what I said, we had to align on principles. Our principles are we care about a 10% increase on the experience from Amazon. We care about that. Our North Star is like being the best way to get a product from point A to point B. We care about that. Okay. Now, then the constraints are like unit costs right? Um, scalability, right? And so then I had all this information and I had to go back to the design team to, to t break down these constraints. And they were just like me when I was a visual designer and I didn't care. Like they this don't care. They were, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, what? Why would we like yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. like people are just starting to learn it like why would we change our ingredients now people are starting to love it it makes no sense and i'm like hear you <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> but i also understand this worldview now right and so I, I i'm able to connect the dots and and we were able to you know go back and figure out like okay can we talk to different vendors right how does how does buying in bulk and bulk um, affect the cost. How does like not only that can we have a you know an alternative packaging solution with other bags and other materials? How could we like based Would on you... order value? How like we had to really yeah, get yeah. creative. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to tell that story to kind of connect the, the all those dots. You're also describing kind of how a designer in the right organization inevitably ends up spoiled all over again right 
they're the only people who uh, get to bounce around between the different departments and basically almost do like um, like a tree survey of the grain of wood of each of the departments to understand the material they're working with and how to get all these materials sort of aligned together. That like if if like an engineer comes up to the CFO and says, hey. Uh, as part of me doing my job, I need to understand these individual line items. CFO would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Whereas like, if you're like, if you're like, look, these tote bags are causing us to blow up with word of mouth, but you're telling me that they're five bucks a pop. Like, let's pop open the hood on this spreadsheet. You explain to me this PNL stuff because like, we clearly have like a shared problem on our hands that we got to unpack together. And right? you know what else yeah. this reminds me of is it's not just, uh, it goes way past like physical products or like cogs and stuff. It's actually like um, you, there's liability is introduced in the relationship between a designer and an engineer when you do handoff. And the example that comes to mind is when we were working together, I was shipping a bunch of stuff through Figma and agrees like this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And it was because I was putting like, drop shadows here or like wanted an animation here or something there and i was like okay hold on can we just take like half an hour to run through the do's and the don'ts of the of react like and what right. it can do you're talking about circa yeah. 2017 yeah. Clara, or... yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a little after kinda... as well but it's oh, like yeah. trying to understand the constraints before you start building again like coming back to this like there's like uh principal constraints there are like you know customer constraints there's like uh financial constraints legal constraints but there's also like engineering interacting with design constraints like if you're if the program that you're you're uh making or like you're making stuff in can't execute on a design that you're making in figma and it's preventing a launch well you need to think about that as a constraint that influences the design language. So yeah. I, yeah, that's exactly. just what yeah. made me think about that. Yeah. If like a designer and JavaScript are in a disagreement. Yeah. <laughs> JavaScript yeah. usually ends up having to win. Right. Um, yeah. Actually, wait, Darian, I want to give like a pretty crazy shout out that like most people just don't know about uh, of like an example of this, like, wait, design can do that. What, <laughs> you know, like, um, going beyond the pixel is um I'll, I'll paint the picture for you it's 2019 um numi has just sort of started to find its stride as a consumer grocery delivery service uh for uh people living in nairobi um and there's a strong culture in nairobi of motorcycle deliveries they call these guys the boda boda guys okay and so like it's like um my friend Asa Ruman, uh, who's a writer in Nigeria, sort of described like uh, the iPhone in Africa is the motorcycle. Like the the seven hundred dollar motorcycle is as transformative for life there uh, in cities, especially as the iPhone mm. was for us. Right? That it just brought suddenly everything became hyper connected because you could get like anything on the back of a motorcycle, slide it across the surface of Lagos or Nairobi or Johannesburg in like minutes. Right? Okay. A lot of these delivery guys, they have these like boxes, these like tough boxes on the back. They're like made of like, uh, what are they like, like plexiglass, right? They're fiberglass. Fiberglass. And, and they're each like $250. And in Nairobi, that is 
fucking expensive. Even yeah. here in the States, that's fucking expensive. Yeah, that's one tenth. Imagine like roughly the equivalent for the United States adjusting for GDP per capita. It'd be like a $7,000 box to do deliveries in. Okay. So like super pricey. Um, and then get this, Darian, to get a box installed on your bike, your bike has to go to the shop and it's out of commission for like a week and a half because it has to get custom like screwed on and stuff. They have to like tack weld certain like rebar into like your bike. It's, I mean, it's crazy. And so, so like these two guys who clearly uh, were not from Kenya, right? Like we're, we're not from Nairobi. How is it that like we were able to solve this problem was like, well, Harrison had a motorcycle. Harrison bought a motorcycle mm. and like actually went through the process of installing one of these delivery boxes. I learned how to ride on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> learned... Do not recommend. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he learned, like, he learned that it was like, oh my gosh, it costs this much money to buy one of these boxes. It costs this much to get them installed in this much time. And like, we can't like blitz scale or grow fat as fast as we want to if this is this bottleneck. Harrison right. went and found a local Tupperware manufacturer. Like, you know, those Tupperware Rubbermaid tubs, right? Yeah. Found a yeah. local manufacturer and he realized that you could get twice the cubic footage capacity for one tenth the cost and no installation. You just use bungee cords. And this ended up yeah. creating like, like super U-Hauls on the back of motorcycles. That... And now a lot of Boda Bodas do this. And yeah. we'd like to think that it was because of like our contribution, but it just goes to show that like, if you have constraints, like a budget in this case, and the other constraint being like variable mounting options, <laughs> it will produce something, <laughs> it will produce something that maybe hasn't been thought about before. So uh, yeah, I yeah. really like that example that you gave. Yeah. And so and, like, what, and yeah. oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just, I was just going to say, Darian, like, it's like, the 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 thing that's so cool about like your experience at like uh, Fast AF um, was basically that like so much of making an on demand product work is essentially operations design, right? And yeah. it's it's still at its core design in its essence, right? Uh, even though it's not happening in Figma. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I encourage more. Um, designers especially up-and-coming designers to kind of get that understanding in that context of you know not what you just said which is not only just what you just were talking about before which is like you know javascript or you know swift or whatever the medium that you're designing for right understand it understand you know those technical constraints um but also opportunities um that that lie with the understanding so don't be afraid to kind of dive in and and you know even if it's uh intimidating you know see if you have a co-worker or you know like i did with our our cfo that can you know walk you through it and, and break things down so that you can gain that 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 knowledge um because it's going to make your solutions better like and, and then same you know i i love the story with with Harrison, like rolling your sleeves up, right? And and um, I I love that, you know, trying to trying to make the things that we envision. I encourage designers to do. A lot of times, designers are too comfortable with uh, creating the picture of the thing, right? Right. Totally. Like if you right. do a mock up of a T shirt, 
you just made a picture of the t-shirt you didn't make the t-shirt like yeah try yeah. to make the t-shirt see if you is can it iron on you know, is it silk screen is yeah, it, is it iron on yeah paint? what's the thread count is it labeled yeah. label like yeah so did you did you like yeah dissolve? where do you get the blank from like where do you get the blank from where do you like and and when you do that you'll understand you know um we keep using the word those constraints, but also uh, like, and I, I spoke about it before. I learned so much from that. I learned so much from, you know, not just making the picture of the t-shirt or the bag or the hat, but like actually going out there and trying to make it, you learn so much. And I bet yeah. you learned oh. so much by trying to build that that box, right? Not only did you learn how to install it, you learned how much the parts cost, how much time it takes to build one, how like, and, and now that helped inform your design. And so I encourage designers to not only go deeper and, and understand all aspects of, you know, what they're, they're painting pictures for, like literally and figuratively, <laughs> um, but don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. You know, I, I, I even with like, whether it's a physical thing or it's a digital product, I'll try to make it even from engineering perspective. I'll, and I may not, you know, be able to do the final thing, but just trying to like hack it together on my own, I, I can have a more productive conversation with an engineer because I know what's possible. Right. Or, or even if I can just like speak the same language, right? So like, even like now, I don't know Python, but I want to be able to speak some of the same language. So when I'm collaborating, we have a common ground. And, it, and not only is, is that effective in the end product, but it's also effective in what I was talking about earlier, the important part of bringing people along, right? Bringing people along with your design process if you can speak their language they're going to respect you that much more right and, and i had a lot of engineers be willing to to work with me and, and understand where i was coming from because i had did my homework and i understood where they were coming from I understand what they were up against like hey i know this might be freaking hard and like because of xyz and like you have to work around this thing to do that but <laughs> if we do it, like this user is going to love it because of this. And like, it's going to set us up for this. And our brand's going to be looked at like this and like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, so what oh. was the end result? Did you guys like work backwards to like find a different manufacturer or like lesser grade materials, but still a, still a zip, a zip bag or what was the final output? Um, there was a lot of different things. Uh, I, 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 it it was a battle that I I fought a couple of times. I think like one of the first ones, uh, like my like when I understood how they're breaking down the numbers, I, it was a pretty slick. <laughs> so my slick solution was, hey, this should be a part of the acqu customer acquisition cost. Wouldn't <laughs> 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 actually be a part of. Uh, the <laughs> unit economics and delivery costs. This is brand, it's customer acquisition. And so I was able to kick it down the road um, a couple of times. 
Um, so what advice would you have for founders that are trying to inspire that type of culture where, because it's not just designers, right? I think like everyone getting involved in everyone's business, more or less, like trying to understand everyone's roles. It just, wow, I feel like I'm about to be in the nineties introducing this word, but it, it helps synergy, right? It helps yeah, like absolutely. bring everyone together. Yeah. I think it's like, so um for fast af we essentially had like uh a, a, a steering team you're, no you're here did oh, it cut out but yeah. you cut out you're you're froze oh, okay. for me i don't know if it's <laughs> me or you i'm sorry no you're good we hear um, you just fine. okay i'll just keep talking no <laughs> I, um i think it's important to have a culture where you know one you can bring people together from different um parts of the company because they're always going to be a different perspective and so for us at, at fast af we had you know like the le leadership team who was essentially the steering committee and we would come in and we would we would not only like align as a high level one on our goals and 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 what we were what we were trying to do and, and get done and, and why but we would also align on kind of like the activity going on uh, uh, underneath those goals. And we had a very open space where we, we, we acted as a, as a true team, meaning not only if you may not be responsible, directly responsible for it or the decision maker, but you still had a voice, you still had an input and we try to create a space that has some psychological safety. And I think I, I've really learned the important of, importance of that at Fast AF and especially when, it, when there was a breakdown in that. But uh, so my, my kind of shouts for founders would be one, how can you create a space that has that psycho psychological safety where people are open to share input, even if outside of what they're responsible for. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then two, I think for, for everyone being able to, uh, or especially leaders, it's important to make decisions from the broadest perspective and context as possible. And what I mean is like, you know, at the time, um, the operations at Fast AF was under our CFO. And so he, he could have easily made a decision that, hey, we're getting cheaper bags. It's, I'm going to reduce the cost by 80% and I'm going to Uline and I'm ordering paper bags and boxes. And if you want, you can put stickers on them. But this is what I'm doing. But instead, it, he said, Darian, you saw, you know, you saw my goals that I shared. This is this is our goal to get this down. And you kind of play a big part of it because it was your vision to do these bags. And how can we work together to solve it? And yeah. he didn't have to do that. But because of the type of team culture that we had and we all felt like we could work together to reach our goals together and we had an alignment on like these principles 
he came to me and and he made and we were able to kind of work through it and so that would be my biggest thing for founders um building up that culture and empowering you know your teams to make decisions when they have the most context and that was one thing that that we really championed and and our ceo made that pretty clear it was like okay it's your decision but i recommend you talk to x y and z um and then you you as a leader can take that you know you can walk in a room and be like so that's not you know it's not any confusion hey i'm responsible for x and i need to make a decision on x so this isn't a you know this isn't a committee <laughs> however <laughs> i would love your input and perspective on what you think and what you're seeing and how do you think this will affect this and and all of that and you're like cool i hear you i'm gonna process this and i'll make my decision right mm -hmm. and like the more teams do that you're getting that input i think a lot of times people are are kind of running teams based on like power and control um but not like collaboration and and uh it's synergy like you said <laughs> you know it's funny because we were we were chatting with uh Casey Climbs and he also talked about the power dynamics when so he's a ux researcher um and for anyone interested uh go ahead check out that uh it's basically um the design the ux researcher behind um uh live maps um like the ar version so it's pretty oh cool yeah. yeah and he talks about um he talks about uh the the power politics of when his role comes in as the UX researcher, he's not party to anyone, right? Like he, he's not on anyone's side, but the data and what the information is saying. And, uh, he said though, that before he even starts anything, he tries to understand, like, how do people internally get promoted? How, like, where does everyone's incentives, uh, align? Like what are everyone's motivations? And so he'll, he'll, he'll make like, you know, bespoke, uh recommendations based off of how that person may react or like take in that information and i think the Smart. same thing applies for you know designers and uh you know marketers and you know lawyers basically everyone in org understanding everyone's motivations and where they're coming from and how they perceive the world like yeah, yeah. you'll meet for such a more capable designer and founder if you understand those those tenets Absolutely. And also another another thing that he brought up that uh, we could talk about some other time, but like emergent technologies, kind of going back to like, I I wanted to bring this up before, but we kind of went somewhere else, which is fine. But like we, you were talking about like the phone is gesture based, and it's an emergent technology, and leaning into that technology with good product design. So in your case, the emergent technology inspired the swipe. And it completely flipped the paradigm of like tap to, to click or tap to delete or something. And it, yeah. So that's what, th those are the two cents that I want to say. <laughs>
just real quick, I was I want to touch on one thing you said because I love that you 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 mentioned it, and it's one thing that you know working in a corporate world I've started to to really live by, and that's like sharing what you said about those agendas, and I think it's really important for people to share their intent, and it's one thing that yeah. I've learned to do, and because I've I've and you can feel it, right? Like when, especially if you've been in a big org and a big corporation, you can feel when there's people in a room and they have an agenda. And yeah. It, and it might be, you know, just to do this thing and get a promotion or impress their boss or what all of those different like things. And I always say there's nothing wrong with having an agenda. But the problem is when you try to like hide it and be like, like, fake and all, and like like you don't have to be like a snake or like a weasel about it just like be genuine like there's nothing yeah. wrong with being ambitious or, or having an agenda it's like, like that big short character that goes to morgan stanley oh yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's yeah. like i'm in it for the fucking money like yeah. Yeah. i've also noticed for sure is like with in big companies a lot of the times the executives will be way more forward about what their agenda is than the people who report to them. Because like for the executives are like, look, we got pressure from our board. We have to deliver these results. They won't get off my case. Will you help or will you not help like uh, get us there? Whereas sometimes like with the people who report to them or the, the people below that, they sometimes might feel like uh, anything new that you're trying to do might step on their turf. And they don't feel as comfortable maybe like vocalizing what exactly their turf is and why their turf is important to them, hmm. which is like it's nuanced, but it, it turns it can turn into like antimatter where you're like, you'll, you think that the path in front of you is very clear, but then you're pushing up against it. Hmm. Right. And yeah. you're like, why am I blocked? It seems like it's right there, but there's something like stopping me from moving forward. Yeah, it's true. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And I feel like especially cross-functionally, um, it causes so much friction. And then you, exactly what you just said, you know, there'll be a blockage. Things won't be moving for one reason, but oftentimes it's just like a breakdown in communication. Um, and like that, that causes the misalignment. And so I, I try to encourage people and, you know, anybody who listens, you know, be open as much as you can and don't be, a, don't be, I, I think also, I think at the root of it is, is like, there's like a, this like fear. Yeah. And so, um, I've always coached people on my team to kind of get rid of that fear. Uh, cause I'm always like fearless. <laughs> um, and, and that's really because I ultimately believe that I'm doing what's right for, the business, the brand, the consumer. And so I'm always like, yo, if I get fired for that, I don't care. Right. I'm going to like stand on these principles and like, I'm able to like do that. And like part of my intent that I have, have shared is like, yo, this isn't a portfolio piece for me. Like, I don't care about that. Right. Like I want, this is why I want it to be great. Or this is why you're going to keep hearing me talk about this. It's so counterintuitive to like put yourself in a place where you're uncomfortable. But 
I remember like when we were in San Francisco, I always remembered the real OGs of the company. They did whatever they want and not in a, not in like, you know, this like very like uh disrespectful way. Like I'm, I'm the shit, but they, they would come to the table and they would be like, uh, I'm going to work um, nine to five and I'm going to get all my work done. And I don't, I want you to all respect my space, but like when it's crunch time, I'll stay, you know, a few hours extra. I'll, I'll put in the work. Also, um, I'll let you know when I'm about to leave this job because, uh, the work becomes boring. I want to let you know that like this feature is very cool and I'm willing to leave the company if it doesn't get shipped because that's how much I believe. And it's like, holy cow, like it is so scary to put yourself in a position where you have that conviction, but at the same time, it's exactly that conviction that make great products, that make great designers, that make great founders. And I think like to anyone listening, just have conviction in what you believe in. You know, yeah. I think that like that's that's more or less like what you're trying to say here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even if you're just starting out, you got to have it too. And it may be scary, you know, job security and this economy is is definitely serious, but that could also be a part of your communication, right? And your intent, right? Hey, my intent is not to be disrespectful. My intent is not to do like being vulnerable in that way, I think garners a lot of respect and it'll have people looking at you in a whole nother light. And I think it's like one of the greatest leadership qualities that you could have, right? And like, so not only is the product and design, all that stuff going to be better, but the overall company and culture is going to be better if, if everyone can kind of show up in an authentic way to where they feel comfortable doing that. Even when it's scary, it's, 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 it's when you like got something. Um, That's when the magic happens. So who yeah. Do you think, yeah. In a misaligned environment, who do you think is responsible for bringing everything into alignment? Uh, yeah. Ultimately, <laughs> I think the CEO. I think the CEO, ultimately. Um, but, you know, I also think, like, I, 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 um, we had a principal at Fast AF was like, you know, be... I forget exactly how we worded it, but it was something around be, be the CEO of your own something. I forgot how we worded it. Yeah, but yeah. like, you know, not to say like, you know, everyone's a CEO, but like, if you're, you know, if you're a designer, you're CEO of, you know, it could be a junior designer. I'm, you're the CEO of the UI kit. You're the CEO of, and so, and so everyone's leaders. Um, and so anyone can recognize when things are, you know, inefficient or there's problems or, you know, they're going to, things are going to go bad, you know, you're not going to win. And so anyone should, should kind of speak up, but like, ultimately, I think it's like the CEO and like, you should, as a CEO, you kind of have to be the one to recognize when, you know, you're not running a well-oiled machine when, when things are just like broken. And if you're not able to do that, then you're not, you're not connected with your team enough. You're not tapped in enough. You're, you don't, you don't know, you don't understand your business well enough. And, you know, and even for me, 
being at Fast AF and being a you know a co-founder, we went through a couple of different stages. We went through, you know, kind of like starting out when it was just like me and the founder and CEO, and and it was just like us and everyone felt like underneath us. Um, and I just I had half the org and he had half the org. And then that moved to, you know, we went through growth and we had a big C-suite um, and, and, you know, a CMO, a CFO and CTO and, you know, some really big heads. And, and even when we went to that, I stayed very close to not only that those, those other chief executives, um, but also layers underneath and their team and, and connected with my team. And, and, and so I had a very, very detailed view of what was going on across the company that would enable me to affect my decision-making and strategies and, and also like problems, right. Um, that we had to solve or, or breakdowns in processes or, or whatever. And, similarly to Nike. And so if there's another, try to get a, give all the gems that I can to uh, make this valuable for people if they want to watch, but it would be just like building relationships, right? Which is also kind of counterintuitive because that takes time. Um, but I would say prioritize those relationships because it's gonna, it also is a part of the work, right? And so I used to have a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of one-on-ones, you know, with, with this person, with that person, with the marketing associate, with the head of partnerships, the head of sales, head of, head of like my team, one-on-ones, weeklies, bi-weeklies, like, like all the way down, even if they, whether they reported to me or not. Um, and all the leadership, um, roles that I've had and, and other leaders would look at me and be like, why are you meeting with them? They don't report to you, hmm. um, but they're in my org, right? And, and like, I'm going to gain something from talking to them. They're like levels down from me, quote unquote. But like that perspective is just as valuable as like this one, right? Maybe more valuable. And so talking, like- Talking to that t-shirt maker or talking yeah. to the person at the warehouse, you know, like yeah. there's so many different roles that- um, you know, a company, it's it's within their sphere. Like maybe they're on payroll by the company, and like the maybe the core team's not talking to them. But it's actually to that core team's benefit to go outside of that core and talk to the users that are both internal users and external users, so that they can they can inform the product work that you do, or they can inform the product that like all these other parts of the core are doing. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's no, there's no task too small for a leader. And exactly. that, that's somebody's quote. Um, but I think it's an important one. I think it, a lot of, um, especially, you know, I see it a lot in the design community where, you know, it's just like pretentious and like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I don't do that. I don't. You got to shake that off. Um, because they're like, there's everything. If you believe that every detail matters and it, you can't believe that and think that there's a task too small for you. 
it, like they're, they're literally conflicting. Right. And so like, um, you have to be able to get in the weeds of things. You have to be able to dig deeper and, um, and just have that understanding. Um, so yeah. And uh, also I think like it to the building relationships point, it makes all of the other things that we've been talking about easier. Right. Yes. Getting yeah. that yeah. knowledge, getting that buy-in, getting like, if I, if I, and I, I've learned, you know, I can be pretty passionate. Right. And to people that don't know me, I'm like, dang, this dude is like, whoa. But for the people <laughs> that know me and who I've built a relationship with, it's nothing. Right. Yeah. It, it's not, it's literally nothing. Right. And, and so, um, it's so important to build those relationships. So Darian, like rounding this out, what is, what is the one thing that you wish you had spent more time thinking about talking about like those two steps ago, right. Or two steps back, like 10 years ago, uh, what is one thing that you wish you had spent more time thinking about now that you look back on it? Wow. That's a good question. Tell us about your regrets, Darian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I guess it's a, I guess it's a, uh, I guess it's really like, what do, what do I truly want? Um, I think it's taken me some growth and maturity and I'm still, I'm still working on it. Um, because it's easy to, it's easy to do what you're good at. It's easy to do what you're, what's expected of you. Um, it's easy to be broad when it comes to the things that we want is what I'm talking about. And I, and I, and I hear when I talk about, uh, or when I talk to, um, designers that I mentor and they might be like, I want to get a startup job. Well, <laughs> okay. that's very broad, right? Like, and so being very clear and detailed about what you want, I think is important. Um, and it takes some time to, to kind of unpack and kind of get there. Right. And, and I find myself doing it, you know, still where, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a runner now. I, and I go for a lot of walks and a lot of runs and, and I, and, and now I have the growth and maturity to, and I joke with my wife where I might be like, that's going to take a couple walks. <laughs> Cause like, I don't know. Right. And, and, or like, I may know at a like vague level. I'm going to um, use yeah. <laughs> and so I have to unpack things with myself and I wish I would, would have done that more, or I wish I would have had that like maturity to do it back then to, to be able to get really specific with what I want. Um, and, and what's going to be fulfilling. And, and, um, yeah, I think that, I think that's it. <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah. Words worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on for part two, Darian.
Yeah, no problem. No problem. This is fun. I enjoy chatting with you guys and uh, I hope someone can get something from it. So anytime. Oh, yeah, they we, definitely we, will. Starting with us. We got <laughs> yeah. Some, we, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Okay, so don't leave yet. Uh, we